everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Hi, it's Nancy here. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm supposed to be on hibernation, right? Well, I am. But the last thing I did before I went into my winter hibernation is record this little ditty to say, I don't want to leave you hanging with the coming out chronicles being on hiatus we thought it would be fun to send you back into some of the older episodes so that you could re-listen to them if you were if you've been around since the beginning or hear them for the first time so enjoy here's one of my favorites the coming out story and having that vulnerability is like, you don't even have to agree with somebody, but if you know somebody is out there bearing their soul, you at least lean in a little bit. I mean, most people, the vast majority of people at least will listen. When I mentioned that I was creating the Coming Out Chronicles, a colleague of mine said, oh, you should get Ash Beckham on your show. So I quickly Googled her and saw that she was kind of a big deal. And so I got a bit nervous because... I've never pitched my podcast to a celebrity before, but I thought, hey, you got to start somewhere. So I tried. And lo and behold, she said yes to being interviewed on my show. Ash Beckham is a bold, dynamic presenter who speaks about empathy, respect, and the power of having real conversations. Her 2013 TED Talk, Coming Out of Your Closet, went viral and has had more than 5 million YouTube views. Ash reaches millions every day as her inspiring speeches are experienced in classrooms, boardrooms, and auditoriums around the world. I am so grateful that she spent some time here with us. I feel like for me, coming out as gay was like the first of many coming out stories. You know what I mean? And so that I feel like kind of changed my perspective on kind of the necessity to come out in a lot of other ways. So that was kind of the the first one for me that was pretty significant. So I was, and I'm sure like everybody, right? It like happens in phases. I guess some people now, social media, you just like put it out there for everybody to know. But for me, it was kind of larger, larger concentric circles that happened over time, kind of pushing the boundaries of what felt safe. And then like you hit a tipping point where you kind of have those more challenging conversations because you feel the strength or empowerment that comes from having told so many people before, right? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my experience. For me, it was, it stemmed from a broken heart. I like was uh, dating this woman and didn't really, you know, not that many people knew about it and the people that did, I wasn't super close to. So that was easy. And then she dumped me like a ton of bricks and I was just heartbroken. It was like the first time in my life I had ever had my heart broken. And I felt this like incredible, I want to call every guy up that I had ever dated that I had broken up with callously and just apologize, <laughs> even if they had not had these same strong feelings like that, that feeling of heartbreak sucks. 
And so I knew at that point I had to tell somebody. So I went home and told my sister, uh, who's five years younger than I am, and, and just like, hey, I don't, and I'm, sh- I'm sure I looked erect. I cried all night and came home and was like, hey, you know, I need to talk to you and mom. So I was, had lived in Colorado, had moved home, and Mandy had just, I think it was about to go away to college. That was true. So we were like both home for a summer. I grew up in Ohio. And so she was going to school in Michigan. So I came home and I just knew I needed to tell somebody, you know, it's like, you don't know what to do with a broken heart. And so I was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And so I, you know, I was like, hey, I'm I'm gay. And this is what happened. And the first thing she said, well, the first thing she said was, I love you. And the second thing she said was, I thought you were either gay or pregnant. Those were like (laughs) the severity and the sincerity of the request to have a conversation with her. Was the gravity of the situation was one of those two things. So yeah, so That's I told funny. her and kept it from my, you know, my immediate family for a bit longer. And then I'm really close to my, I mean, really close to my parents. I had a pretty idyllic upbringing. So my mom just knew that I was like distant and not sharing a ton of information and kind of knew something was up. And so had her mom way of, and I, at that point I had moved back to Colorado and had her mom way of kind of crying into telling me. And then that was kind of like a hard road, I think, once your family knows. But then, you know, once you told my sister, it wasn't the end of the world. And then and she was supportive and seemed to do all the right things to kind of support me and kind of hold that secret, which is hard. You know, you're like essentially lying because you know something other people don't. But And then kind of created this community around myself that was supportive and then found the strength to go back and have that conversation with my parents and it was it was tough. Both my parents owned their own businesses. My dad was in uh, like entertainment and but ra- born and raised Catholic. Or I guess you're not born Catholic, raised Catholic, I guess. <laughs> and so he had always been told that it was wrong, right? So that was like his he like couldn't reconcile that piece of it. And my mom had owned her own boutiques and had been in fashion forever. So she just through the industry knew a lot of gay people. She was fine with gay people. She just like wasn't okay with their kid being one. And so that their challenges there came in very just, it was just a hard road for them, but they got around, got on board and have become incredible advocates since then. So that was kind of the story. And then I feel like for me, at least once I had, you know, my sister was the first piece and then a really solid group of friends was the second piece and my parents were the third piece. And at that point I felt pretty confident I could take on the world. So times that it's hard, but you just kind of, kind of keep going. And I think for my parents, at least the there's a point that I was like, hey, this, I know this is hard and I know this is like rocking the boat of our family that's so close, but you know, I would do anything for you, but I will lose you over this if you can't understand this is something I have to do. Like that's how strongly I feel about it. And so that kind of relying on the strength of that relationship made it, I don't know if it made it easier. There was a belief at least that like we would get through it. And that was incredibly comforting at a time that, you know, when it was really hard knowing you were the person that was like, quote unquote, causing that pain and disruption and what, you know, whatever, 18 previous years of your life had been. Right. Did it feel kind of like you had to either choose to keep the peace at home or lose a part of yourself if you were to just stay quiet about it? Yeah, well, I wasn't living, I mean, I, I lived at home for like two months that summer. So I, I could kind of have this very separate life. In retrospect, it was the reason that I moved that far away was to have that anonymity to kind of do whatever I wanted. And then doing whatever I wanted was kind of exploring this part of me. Even though when I left, I didn't know that's what I was doing. It was less a choice of like keeping the peace and more just knowing that I was conscious, that I was consciously making a decision to have this void of a relationship that had been so fundamental to me for so long that it was going to be different. And I didn't know how long it was going to be different. And that sucked. You know, that part was really, was just for me was, was really hard, but knowing there was kind of no, there was no other way to go, you know, to go home and 
pretend I wasn't who I was didn't really work. That wasn't fair and lying, hiding and cheating for to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and one time in the summer and not be myself when I, the other, whatever, 49 weeks out of the year I was just did that didn't mesh either. And I was really happy, right? Like I was absolutely in love with this woman. When I came out to my parents, I was in a new relationship and I was in love with this woman and so happy. And just, I don't know, for me, at least you, when I had that, like everything made sense to me, love songs and romantic comedy, like, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden the world that I had been watching for so long made sense. My role was different than I thought it was, or who was playing my opposite in the rom-com was somebody different than I'd previously expected to be, but that's why it didn't make sense before, right? So then it did make sense. I had a close family and I wanted to share this joy with them. And that, not being able to do that, I think, was really hard, but it was the impetus of like, if you, if you could see how happy I was, you'd figure it out because you just, all you want is for your kid to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for them, they didn't want me to be hurt. They would, my mom was, is like a mama bear. And so she just wanted to protect me and, and knowing that this is, you know, her biggest fear was like me walking down the street with my partner holding her hand, my mom walking behind us and seeing someone sneer or point or whatever and just have this like visceral reaction to protect her kid. And like, why would I choose that path? Right. Yeah. They just want you to be protected and yeah, they just want to be safe. Which yeah, now, as a as a parent, you get right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you yeah. would. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have somebody cuts in front of your kid at the slide, and you're like, "Well, where's the justice in the world?" Right? You, just, <laughs> you want them to be safe. You don't want their feelings hurt. Like, you, it totally makes sense, and it doesn't go away because they're twenty. Mm-hmm. What would you have liked for your twenty year old self? What kind of supports do you wish were there for you? What could have made that coming out process easier for you? You know, I think a huge piece of it now, you know, I don't know what I would have wanted then, but now I feel like LGBTQ people and storylines are so pervasive in popular culture. You almost can't watch a sitcom that doesn't have a version of that, right? It doesn't have to be Will and Grace, but it's Modern Family, right? Mm -hmm. These very iconic versions of family life that are, that have that representation that even if it's a water cooler conversation, I don't even know if I would have wanted more support. I would have wanted the people I love to have more support around it, right? Mm -hmm. To have the words and the framing and the comparison and the ability to have that conversation with friends and family in a way where it was normalized, where it feels like it is now. I mean, I'm not 20 and coming out to my parents. You know, I'm on the other side of that. You know, I just, I think that if it would have just been more normal and it feels more normalized now, but I don't know if that's because I've, you know, of where I'm standing and what my view is, or if it's because it just seems to, you know what I mean? Like it was, this was before Alan came out. This was before these were conversations. This was like, you know, a time where like lesbian bars were the only places you could go or gay bars were the only places you could go and be safe. Like it wasn't a novelty. And again, like, I don't know if that's just my frame of reference, but I think that just to have it exist in a way that where you're portraying people in same sex relationships in the same way that you portray somebody that's in a straight relationship, right? That it's just normal. I, there was this great quote from Dan Levy, David Levy from uh, Schitt's Creek of mm-hmm. like, we weren't trying to have people sit down. I'm going to butcher the quote, but it essentially was like, we didn't want people to sit down and watch a show and be taught a lesson. We wanted them to see that there was just another way 
but we wanted them to see what things could be like. And that sentiment to me is so incredible. You're not trying to change anybody's mind. You're just showing that there's nothing devious about our life. It's really boring. We like put our kid down and can barely have a conversation with each other. I can't imagine putting two kids down. Right. And like, it's real, it's real, real boring. We do the same annoying, th- you know what I mean? We have the arguments over who does the dishes and who leaves a wet towel in the wrong place. There's nothing tantalizing about it. I mean, it is. I'm absolutely in love, madly in love with my wife. But on an everyday basis, it's just every day. Yeah. You know? I think that's my whole hope for this podcast, too, is that I will interview all kinds of coming out stories and share that, like, we're all human and we all have similar things that are going on in our lives. It just looks a little bit different. So the more that we Mm -hmm. can share stories and normalize any coming out story, the more I think that we'll be connected as humans. And I feel like that's a huge piece to me that like the two fundamental things that have changed over the course of me prior to coming out into this point in my life. So 25 years or whatever is, you know, now it's not just like a direct connection of who allies are, right? It's not like, oh, it's my sister or my roommate in college or whatever. It's my pediatrician or my accountant. Or like, there's just like people that are out in their lives that are doing roles in everyday life that I think people become connected to that person as a human, regardless of their sexuality. And so then that us versus them dynamic goes away and it becomes more of a we, right? When your neighbors are lesbians, you have a completely different view of that if they're just good neighbors, right? And then I think people having kids because, for example, you go into the office and you've been up all night because your kid had an earache. And if the person next to you has a kid, they understand what that's like. Like they don't care who you're going back to bed with because (laughs) you know nobody's sleeping when a kid has an earache, right? There's this leveling of the playing field of, in a lot of ways with kids, like suffering to get through it that I think makes it really relatable. Those two things, I think people having kids and then also staying to some extent, staying in their hometowns, not moving to New York City or San Francisco or whatever. I mean, I appreciate those places offer their amazing cities, but people just staying and being like, no, I want to be here. Like there's something about being here and close to family. That's important to me. And if I have to be the one or we have to have, or our kid is the only kid in his class with two moms, then so be it. Because the support of the people that we have around us and the upbringing that we had here is worth figuring that out is, I mean, those things to me have changed the landscape in such an incredibly rapid way that that normalization happened it's just a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different world these days, thankfully. Yeah. Do you feel like there's still a ways to go in some regard? Oh, I do. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, I think the fluidity of sexuality right now is something that's important. I mean, you can look at the huge strides that are made, but um, I do a lot of work with corporations and I was on a, a call with several and they were, you know, we were like, what are the unique challenges uh, in this new work environment that LGBTQ employees are facing. And one of them was, what do I do when one of my coworkers doesn't want a gay person in their house on Zoom? You know what I mean? Like, how do you deal with that? And this, these are Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies that have enough of a presence in the market and enough of a concentration on diversity and inclusion to have a seat at this table and they still have employees that are having problems like that, right? You know, geographically, where we are is very, very different. You know, I think gender expression is still kind of confusing to people. Obviously, trans issues, are, people struggle to get their mind around. I think like kind of the second classing of trans folks in the LGBTQ spectrum is 
a challenge. I think LGBTQ folks of color face the intersectionality issue of oppression, I think is huge. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a way to go. It's nice to feel comfortable and accepted. And I went from, you know, the kid in the closet at the sneaking out to go to the gay bar and telling anybody where I was going to making a living being a professional gay, right? Like that's (laughs) that, that transition in a matter of whatever, two decades is amazing. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And also we have to look back, right? We have to remember the people that don't have those same advantages, who don't have that same privilege and that we have to continue to listen to those stories and not minimize those challenges because we don't face them any longer. I think is critical in continuing to have the movement go forward. Yeah. What would you say is your next coming out act? What is the next chapter coming out for you? The next one, let's see. So I have kind of run the, I have these parallel lives, I guess, for lack of a better word. So I do speaking, you know, it's probably half of what I do. And then the other half is my family runs a girls fast pitch softball tournament company in the Midwest, back where I grew up. So we run, you know, eight-year-olds to 18-year-old girls fast pitch softball tournaments in the summer. And I have, these lives are very separate. I think that was because we started the company 10 or 12 years ago, different environment there. I wouldn't even say like more homophobia, but I feel like if people have a tendency to have a problem with that relative to their daughters playing sports is a pretty sensitive topic. You know, you just want to be like, she's playing softball for Christ's sake. Like she's going to meet a lesbian. It's going to happen. Like there's just no way. It's physically impossible for her to be a career female athlete, specifically in certain sports and not meet a lesbian. And like, she's better for it. We all are, right? Like that's the more diversity that we have, the better we are for it. But you, you know, you talk to a parent who's daughter is maybe bending some gender norms and it freaks them out. Same place that my parents were in what in the 80s. Like I, I get that again, but you know, it's a family business and that to jeopardize that for the my own outness, you know, it's just like a non-issue. Like I just don't talk about it. And so now I'm starting to reference my family more, reference my wife, reference my son. Coming out isn't just about my sexuality, right? Like I can do it in ways that imply that, I guess. And still get the point across, but what I want them to know is have a more holistic vision of my life. If you want to know me, connect to me, you don't need to know that I'm gay. You need to know my wife. You need to know my two-year-old son, right? Like that, that's it. By inference, that gets you, like you kind of gloss over A to get to B, but A is kind of irrelevant in a lot of conversations to me because that's the point of the story isn't that I'm gay. The point of the story is I have this amazing family that I get to go home to. Or if I can't talk to somebody at one of our events, that specific moment, it's because I'm FaceTiming with my son to say good morning to him, right? Like that humanity, I think, is what changes it. And so I guess that's a long way to get around that closet of integrating those two parts of my life a, a little bit more, not fearing the repercussions that may come from it or that people might see me differently because of it, but they might know me better because of it. And if I trust on the relationship that we have, then it doesn't change their opinion of me. And if it does in a negative way, then maybe that's not a relationship that I want. Am I confident enough running the business to be able to take that and and know that that's the case and know that the quality of work speaks for itself? My mom and my dad and I started this company years ago and about two and a half years ago, my dad had an aneurysm and passed away. And so he ran, he was more the face of it. Uh, and I did the behind the scenes. I mean, we were, we worked obviously very closely together, but I, I, you know, I wasn't 
shaking hands and kissing babies. And so now that's become my role a little bit more. So it is a little bit more personal. Plus in my 40s, you lose that barrier of your parent protecting you. I mean, my, both of my parents, when they got around it, was, their position was essentially, if you have a problem with Ash, you have a much bigger problem with that filter of some of that was safe and felt good. And so it's just a little bit more exposed and vulnerable now, but it's too important for the little kid who's standing there watching it happen, who needs to see somebody like them, right? Yeah, that's so huge. Yeah, just like the normalcy of it. And it is fine and you're not 16 forever and you have a family and you run a business and all of those things that exist and you are just authentically yourself safely, I think is just a real powerful message for whatever your diversity or unique individuality is, right? Like it's not just the little lesbians that are walking around, it's everybody, right? I think that that was really huge in my own coming out journey was seeing models of people that were gay and were respected in the community and had beautiful lives. Like, oh, this is possible. Exactly. Especially going to a church where I could see people that were respected in the church that were two women married to each other. I was just like, what? Like, I don't have to divorce my faith totally in order to embrace my sexuality. That's Absolutely. Huge. Mm-hmm. And like, you, I feel like when you're that age, you're like, nobody ever felt like me. Nobody ever was like me. And then all of a sudden you see this 40 year old version of yourself or this 30 year old version of yourself. And you're like, and they just have like a normal life. You just can't, again, it's hard to envision that that actually exists when you're a kid that's scared to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel like your whole world is going to cave in on you and sure. Yeah. Hard to imagine that it could be really beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you're just like trying to survive. Yeah. So in this coming out right now, what would be the worst repercussion of being really open about who you are? I think that we would probably have, you know, there would be a potential that we would have some of our teams that wouldn't attend the event. There was a team that was, or, and that's the whole thing, like, it's not going to be a team decision, right? going to be maybe the head of the organization or a specific coach and if that's their position they just won't come back the the following year but that's okay yeah like what's the worst part about that (laughs) you don't have yeah exactly exactly people around like that (laughs) right exactly which just creates a better you know a better environment for everybody yeah what is there to gain like those kids seeing an example of who you are Right, exactly. So that, like, you do, it comes to that tipping point where the reward, you know, are you powerful enough or inspired enough to do something, even though it scares you? And I feel like there's that kind of higher purpose, greater reward that comes with that. That is, um, yeah, it's just like at a certain point, again, it's that tipping point of like, it just isn't, it's not about just you anymore. You have to feel, and I mean, not, not physical safety, obviously, is, is nothing that I would ever jeopardize but my emotional safety are the safety of the company i feel like it you just get to a point where the net gain is is going to be bigger than the net loss and you just have to make that step and so that's just what we do and i don't know when it necessarily happens it just i feel like in different points in my life you get to a tipping point where you're like i need to be more authentically myself mm-hmm. yeah you talked in your book about the kids in your life and that sounds like it was a big tipping point for you kids yeah yeah definitely so i had so the, i didn't have kids i didn't we didn't have a son at that point but i had my sister had kids really close friends of mine they're like family in colorado had kids and you have this realization of this like unconditional love that these kids have and nobody's ever questioned the people that they love right they've never 
they've never heard a negative comment. And so that could be homophobic comment, that could be a racial slur, like that could be any of the things that kind of like shatter their bubble. And so then they have this, they just envision these kids like having their world kind of destroyed because of someone's unintentional or intentional comment. And that was a point of where I was like, I need to say something. I need to I need to stand up and maybe change on people's minds. And again, not telling them that they're wrong, just showing them that there's another way, that there's a different perspective and, and really getting to the root of the humanity that underlies all of it, I think was the biggest piece for me because that's the point that we connect on, right? Like we've all, you know, I've soapboxed and, you know, been on the picket lines and screamed and yelled and protested and whatever. And, and I, it's, it makes a difference for sure. It just isn't, for me personally, that's not my most efficient way of making change. Mm-hmm. So the connecting on the humanity just seems to work better for me and is more in line with kind of who I am and my curiosity around other people and, and really getting to know folks and letting them get to know me in the same way that you talked about it earlier when you just say that we all have these human experiences and if we can share them with each other, then we have a better understanding of each other. Yeah, it's it's so important. I love that that's your way of making changes through sharing humanity and empathy and understanding each other's point of view better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something I think about with, with anybody the coming out story and having that vulnerability is like, you don't even have to agree with somebody, but if you know somebody is out there bearing their soul, you at least lean in a little bit. I mean, most people, the vast majority of people at least will listen because it's not the story of heroism right? It's a story of just, I mean, for me, at least, and to the TED Talks and in the lectures I do, I'm rarely the hero. You know, it's often the, the stumble or, or being the goat or making the mistake or having this realization that we need to do things differently in order to make change. And that, to me, is just a lot more approachable. And you don't want people to not use the word gay in a negative way because you told them to. Then they're just not going to say it around you, right? They're not like getting to the why and the understanding of it. But if you can tell them how it makes you feel, then all of a sudden the pressure's off of you and it's on them to make a conscious decision of how they want to act in the future. That's how people, they, you know, that's why people change. You don't, you don't want them to be politically correct because it's the right thing to do. You want them to get why they're doing the action that they're doing and changing their behavior. That then empowers them to be able to share that same story. How did you learn this? Um, you know, I think I've seen a lot of people do it right. I've seen a lot of organizations, I feel like, do it right. And I think there's also this, this broader how do I want to be treated as a human? You know, in a business environment, I don't want somebody to all of a sudden want me on the team because we work for an advertising agency and we just landed the Subaru account. So we need the lesbian perspective, right? Like that doesn't do anybody any good. It's not because I'm a lesbian and we're addressing lesbian or gay issues that you want my perspective. It's because how I've gotten to this point in my life is different than a straight white man. And that has value. I heard this great, I don't even know who did it anymore, but there's this great comparison of people are trying to problem solve and they needed ketchup for a recipe. And so they went into the refrigerator. So it was like this team thing. So they went into the refrigerator trying to find the ketchup. They couldn't find ketchup. So they were um, trying to come up with all of the ingredients they could put together, kind of make their own ketchup to put into the recipe. But then there was somebody on the team that was from a culture where the ketchup isn't kept in a refrigerator is kept in the cabinet. So he was like, well, let's look at why are we only looking in the refrigerator? Look in the cabinet. You look in the cabinet, that's where the ketchup is, right? Like you get to the faster solution because you have people that have a different life experiences. You don't know where to look if you've never looked anywhere but the same place that everybody in your group has looked, right? And mm-hmm. so that idea to me is just 
fundamental and problem that you can't possibly think that you have all the answers or that your experience is, is so supreme and so well-rounded that you're thinking of everything. You just, you're just, you're not, you're selling yourself short if you think that that's the case. And so you're either lying to your organization or you're lying to yourself or probably both. Right. And so when you see people that do it really well, that really integrate this organizations, I, I feel like it's so simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And you can explain things simply and people really get on board with them, right? Yeah, that's amazing. It it seems intuitive, right? But it's hard. But when you lay it out in a way that makes sense, then it's not that any other way seems a lot and inefficient and and all of the things that you you wouldn't want in an organization. Yeah, I love that ketchup analogy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not such a good one. I got to figure out who said it, where that came from, because it's one of those things that have that's stuck in my head because it's just like, obviously, I mean, I would never look at a cabin, but like you have the person on the team that's like, why are we not looking at the cat? You know what I mean? It's just a get, you come up with a better solution. Amazing. I feel like I could pick your brain all day. There's some, yeah, we could do this forever. Good stuff in there. In closing, what nugget of advice would you have for someone who's at that tipping point of like, maybe I'm going to come out, but maybe not. Like, what would you give them? I mean, I, I think a couple of things. One, find support. Find find people you can tell. Go as slow as you need to, right? But like, find find people that you can share that with to some extent. You just can't keep it all inside. And then I would say kind of the same question you asked me, like, what would you be that person that your younger self could have looked to and felt okay? If you're not doing it for yourself or you're scared or you're right on the edge and you have that safety net, I mean, I think that's critical because sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's really hard and people have to pick up the pieces when someone you care about breaks your heart when you tell them your story and they're not receptive. So I think that that's critical. But at the same time, like it is so much bigger than you and you're not the only person that's ever done it. And like there are kids that are dying because they don't see people that look like them. So that's, to me, is think of, think of a younger version of yourself and who would you have wanted to see? Like, who would you want that older friend or older mentor to have been? And if nothing, do it for them. Yeah, find a, a greater it, purpose. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be huge, right? It can be this incremental process of sharing a little bit more of yourself and a little bit more of yourself, but you have to change the way that you're doing it today if you want to end up in a different spot tomorrow. And they can be, again, these little small, small changes, but there's action and there's movement and there's a difference and you feel different and you are different day after day after day, right? And then you stack all of those things together over the course of a week or a month or a year and look at where you are doesn't have to be in huge leaps it just has to be movement that's awesome thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective yeah absolutely thank you so much it was so fun so fun to chat i'm excited anytime you let me know awesome thanks for listening to the coming out chronicles if you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else please share it with them if you'd like to connect with me reach out on social I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.